Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Roger, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTF. If you're not as yet, become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. And as always, we've got Ishmael Johnson in the house. Ish, how you doing? Hey, what's up, man? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. I noticed you got on uh, some of our merch yes. today. Yeah. <laughs> got the football hoodie on, the yeah. Sam Marcus collection, I believe is what we're calling it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because th- <laughs> obviously, you know, we, we don't sell officially licensed stuff, but it's, right. you know, pretty close, let's say, to Texas State colors. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so um, you can find all that stuff on TexasFootball.com, too. Mm-hmm. I, I actually don't think I ever actually uh hit up adam for our, for my free one. Oh, really <laughs> you think it's too late uh, maybe not i mean he does owe you that's essentially <laughs> stuff uh, money he should have pocketed for you so. <laughs> all right well I'll, I'll try to follow up and uh and try to also I, I i think i got a little bit more than everybody because i remember he was testing out like a bunch of like <laughs> i do remember a bunch that. of like colors for to get the right. maroon right and right. so i have like a long sleeve a shirt this it, it hoodie. took a while to get it right <laughs> yeah we so, got some bad colors right and so like i have just a bunch of other maroons <laughs> <laughs> Man, but we finally got it figured out. Right, right. Uh, so, uh, you know, I got to say, my I think my favorite, though, is still, I, I didn't ask for it, but the West University one. It's yes. the rice colors. Oh, it, it's, it's just a it's, nice blue. It's, it's, it's a, a nice, nice blue neutral. and silver. It's yeah. a nice neutral, right? Because, yeah. I mean, every, everybody knows I'm a Baylor grad, but, like. Right. Who hates rice? Yeah. I, like, if somebody sees you wearing too. a rice shirt, it's like, oh, yeah. how dare you? You know, it's yeah. like, who cares? <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, look, if you're wearing green and yellow, like yeah. you're communicating something, right? You're yeah. not just wearing a shirt. You're like, this is for something, right? <laughs> you know, the rice one. I yeah, I, I like it a lot. Oh, that's also sort of the issue with like the blue and orange ones, which I mm-hmm. like. But mm-hmm. it's like those aren't two colors that are just together, right? <laughs> you know, the, those just don't like kind of go places right. together. That's like I'm pretty sure everybody order. Everybody in the office has mostly got the rice. I want to yeah, say, yeah, so. it's a it's a good look. It's a yeah. good look. Hey, we'll talk about rice plenty today because what we got uh, <laughs> what we got going on today. Bill Connolly, the the goat of uh, of college football data, yeah, our sensei, uh, friend of the show mm-hmm. uh, to, to some extent, um, he has released his first SP Plus ranking of for the twenty twenty season. It, look, it's it's only February. Sure. Like, obviously, a lot's going to change. Right. Uh, you know, he'll update things. You'll get more recruiting class data in there. You'll get you know guys transferring. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, you know this new proposal is going to really make things interesting. I, I I don't know if you've heard. They're talking about potentially as soon as you know the next year, mm-hmm. eliminating the year in between, uh, between where kids have to sit out. Right, right, now. right, right. So it, it probably won't come into a, uh, into play right now, mm-hmm. but it's something that's obviously going to to play a part in what's happened setting forward. But so for those of you who don't know, uh, Bill Connolly used to be at SB Nation, now at ESPN. He has a rating system that's probably as good as anything. In, in, I mean, it, it's more or less, yeah. So basically, what his stuff does is it takes uh, your offense and defense, and uh, you know, he adjusts it per play, he adjusts it to pace, you know, all all this sort of stuff. Mm, he, adjust, uh, he, he takes a opponent into account right, as well, so strength schedule, yeah. right? So everything basically, um, and for for the first ones especially, he takes into account recent success mm-hmm. uh, as sort of a predictive thing, and recruiting success, both those are sort of predictive models. So he takes that. And he comes up with a rating and and basically weights every team in the FBS from 1 through uh, 130 to kind of decide which teams are the most efficient in college football, which therefore, you know, which teams are the best in college football. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's again as good a predictor as you're gonna find to use it to even pick against the spread and stuff like that always publishes that info uh it, it's a really good system yeah so i mean like looking back like one of my favorite things to do every year is to always go back and look at you know his old systems for like, sure so 2017 alabama ohio state wisconsin georgia yeah obviously that final was alabama georgia yeah um so he got i mean you got alabama right being right. the best team 2018 was one that really got me Al, uh, because if you remember that season, the top four was Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Oklahoma. Yeah. Those were all four playoff teams. Not only that, Georgia should have beaten Alabama yeah. that year, yeah. right? And yeah. you could make the argument, obviously, that Clemson completely destroyed Alabama that year. Yeah. But um, the fact that it took like some heroic kind of rejiggering of the offense to kind of right. for Alabama to beat Georgia, and then, I don't know, for point being, he got that right. Yeah. And this past year, uh, Ohio State number one, which is what a lot of people were saying. A lot of people felt like Ohio State was one of the best teams. Honestly, one of the probably the best Ohio State team ever. Yeah, yeah and, it was up there. Um, and so obviously they lost in the semifinal, but it was number one Ohio State, number two Alabama, number three LSU, number four Clemson. Yeah, like you got again, like obviously Alabama was out of there and it was Oklahoma instead. But I think as far as you look at every year and his playoff teams or his top five, whatever, I think he gets it right more often than not, like way yeah. more often than not. Yeah, and and the thing is, obviously, especially when you look at the top, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what it's really about, hey, you know, these are sort of the top five. There are going to be factors that come into account. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, and the thing is, too, for example, like there are things that when we talk about how the Texas teams are ranked, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're going to be, hey, this team lost a quarterback, you know. Mm-hmm. North Texas obviously lost a guy who means more than just football to their right, right, you know, right. like things like that. Yeah. You know, there was a coaching change that doesn't necessarily get taken into account because mm-hmm. there really is no way to take that into account. You know, there right. are subjective factors, but when it comes to pure evaluating a roster and seeing what what's going on there, and I think there are some there are some cases as well where I mean some teams buck the system a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah, where um, I believe the Sugar Bowl year for Texas, right? Yeah. They were like they were cons- consistently like twentieth. In yeah. SP plus, SMP plus, and so obviously they were better than that. They ended up winning the Sugar Bowl, but yeah. because they were playing a style of football that the model didn't necessarily like a lot, yeah. right? They were winning a lot of slugfest games and playing a lot of close games and just controlling the clock. And I team- was a team that does that all the yeah, time. Yeah, right, right. You know, teams that te- can kind of manipulate, right? Teams that like the numbers, just like oh, this is Kansas this is state, a- right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. The teams where the numbers look at as like oh, this is ugly, but they're winning, <laughs> right? And so you know, it's I think it's the natural. Um, give and take you get with analytics, right? Analytics is always a tool, should never be something that you solely base the game off of. Absolutely. Just like the eye test should be a tool and not something you right. solely base the game off of. They're all factors. So, right. uh, because we are a force to in the state of Texas, we are going to start at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I'm going to kind of break these into tiers, okay? okay. Um, just because there are some pretty big gaps in between, you know, sort of. Each, and the bottom each. is depressing. I'm sorry, because there's, there's another fact I want to bring in. There, yeah. I know you're doing yeah. SMP Plus, but there's another fact I want to bring in with this. So. Yeah, yeah. So at the bottom, uh, they were not at the bottom last year, right. for the record. Yes. Um, they, they did finish, I think, number 128 out of 130. But the UTEP Miners are last in the country. Yeah. Uh, and then in that bottom group, I'm also going to group UTSA number 124 and Texas State number 123. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the bottom tier of the state right now. And... and not a not a lot of surprise down there. Uh, the maybe sort of half surprise is obviously Rice kind of maybe moving a little bit above, but they actually, and, and I assume that the fact you're going to bring up is returning production. Um, you know, Rice does return a lot. Yeah. That's one of the issues with these three teams. Yeah. So you look at, so UTEP, let's start with the most depressing. Oh, man. So UTEP, last in S&P Plus. Yeah. 
second to last in returning production. Do you know what's crazy about that? Is yeah. that it was the same story last year. It was the exact same story. I, I it was like the talent they had was <laughs> right, bad, right. and they lost that talent, and they're just reinforcing it with more bad talent. Like, and, <laughs> and upperclassmen talent. Right, upperclassmen talent. And, and, and that's, that's something that's very confusing to me, yeah. because... I mean, well, it's, it's one of the things about going Juco right, and missing right, a lot, right, on a lot right. of players, and, maybe. And, you know, that's, that's something that's very confusing to me, because... If you are UTEP, if you are Dana Dimmel, because mm-hmm. they also want heavy Juco this year too. Yeah. To me, it's definitely valuable to have upperclassmen on your roster. Right. right. I think every single year you should aspire to have, you know, maybe no fewer than a third of your starters be upperclassmen, mm-hmm. you know, in one way or another. Right. Um, you know, for example, last year they brought in A.J. Hodgkins, a, a guy from Oregon who was a big-time player and I think taught a lot of guys in that locker room a lot, right? Mm-hmm. But here's the issue, right, is that, if you are a team that is advertising a four-year rebuild, where is the young talent? You know, where are the young guys coming out here? And, and yeah. actually, um, and, and I apologize, I'm going to get his name wrong, but uh, but the linebacker, Sione Tupau, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think he's from Trinity Ulysses. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he was one of their top tacklers last year. He was one of, like, the only underclassmen who was good, and he's transferring. Yeah. You know, like, it, it's just... That's what you want to see, right? You don't want to see, like, oh, well, Kai Loxley's out here, you know? Oh, right. You know, I, I mean, they have some homegrown guys like Denzel Chukukelu, you know, mm-hmm. last year was a homegrown guy who, who played well. And that's kind of a different situation. But, right. but it just feels like more of those young guys should be finding a spot if you're going to be a team that wins zero FBS games. The point the point should be, like, you should either do the complete teardown rebuild where you just play underclassmen. Right? The Baylor and, model. And, right, exactly. Where you role. just play underclassmen, get them seasoned, and then and then kind of fill in the gaps here and there right. with JUCO. Or you want to have JUCO ready to go and kind of keep underclassmen in the incubator and have them ready to go learning under these guys, maybe playing some second, third-tier snaps. Yeah. And then that way when they move on, you have – Well, and, been, and I think that that's – It's been clean house right. for th- two, three years now. Well, and I think that that latter in it, not that it's worked, but that yeah. was more of the Everett Withers model. Sure. You know, no, where, exactly. where you, you bring in those guys and – they didn't develop the way that they needed to, but right. but then you brought you him. You see Juco something, and you're willing to give him. Okay, let's see where we're at. Your three, year four. Right. So looking at Texas State uh, moving up the ranking, or yeah. let's go to UTSA first. Yeah, let's let's talk UTSA. This so. is the interesting one yeah. because their returning production is 63rd. Yeah, and it just shows that I mean, at least as far as this model is concerned, they are not confident in what UTSA has coming back. So, at all. so the the thing that I'll say that is. A little positive, uh-huh. just a little positive, not sure. very positive, is uh, at least they are top 30 in offense for turning production. That, that's fair. That, that's that's fair. I think something that, you know, you bring in Jeff Trailer, you obviously bring in uh, Barry Lunny to run that offense. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Trailer was very noncommittal when he asked what the offense is going to look like, like very noncommittal. <laughs> right, he was right. basically like, it's going to be crazy. You're, you know, you're going to expect it to do one thing and then we'll do something. Else. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> Right. What what is what that? offense are you running? <laughs> right, right. Like, are you going to line up in spread? Are you going to run the option? <laughs> right. Are you going to line up? That's what we're are asking. You lining and, up in twenty one personnel. What's happening? Here? Right, <laughs> like, like just I, and I mean, obviously, out of that stuff, you do all sorts of stuff. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, the best offenses in the country are made to make you think that you're doing one thing and do the other. Right, but like, what is this? You know, what does that and, mean? And so, but but on offense, they do have talent coming back. Obviously, Frank Harris uh, being a big time mm-hmm. potential. A contributor at the quarterback position um you know sincere mccormick 
I think that there's a good argument that he's as good as any running back in the country, uh, in, in the state rather, coming sure. back. Um, was only a true freshman last year. Uh, another couple of young guys that I think that, that Frank Wilson really hit on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, late in his tenure, I think Rashad Wisdom's another one of those yes, guys. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, there, there are guys there for sure on both sides of the ball. Uh, Spencer Burford on the offensive line, for mm-hmm. example. Um, so at least you have some of that offense coming back, right? right. Uh, now, again, I think that this is another one of those where it's like, this is something that obviously SP Plus can't measure, right? right. Bring in a new coach, bring in a new system. Uh, having a coach that hasn't been, you know, even a coordinator at this level, mm-hmm. uh, having an offensive coordinator who's been a tight ends coach primarily, a great tight ends coach, but a tight ends coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have an experienced guy, uh, Tyron Nix, coming in on defense, but that's one part of, you know, a very young coaching staff. Right, and Bill Connolly used to always, he always kind of harps on this as far as like, Despite the fact that UTSA has a new coach and all this stuff, the model, the model looks at the returning production, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, it's a positive, right? Like you said, 30th in returning offensive mm-hmm. production. But if the production was bad, it does right. not matter what you bring back because right. you're still bringing back a unit that performed badly. Right. So that's what it's measuring, um, not the fact that they're going to be running something theoretically right. new. Like right. we're, we're hoping it's something well, new because you know Jeff Trailer's coached in this state, so he knows what uh, what these players in the, at the high school level are familiar with running and what produces success and he's also i don't i don't think he's coached under a single coach that hasn't run something a variation of a spread yeah. right um more so sterling gilbert so sterling gilbert and chad morris yeah so you know I, I really don't think he's you know he's familiar with what would what works and he's not going to try to shoehorn these guys into 2021 20, personnel you know two backs in the backfield and trying to run down your throat right he's gonna right spread it out a little bit more theoretically right you would assume you'd assume um and i mean but, that's that's largely what he did at gilmer obviously right yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah you two say again they, they are top 30 in returning production on offense but offensively sp plus because they break both offense and defense specifically mm-hmm. they're still number 105 so you know still a lot of work to do uh, let's quickly move on to texas state um I think that it is <laughs> not the greatest sign, obviously, that, that Texas State and UTSA are hand-in-hand hand when oh, Texas man. State should probably be a little bit further along than yep. they are right now. Yeah. Um, now, something to take into account in terms of the quality of the team next year, they did go Juco heavy. Yes. Um, so they are trying to fill some of those immediate roles. It's not going to be something that's reflected, obviously, in this way. And like, the model can, all, can not also... I mean... We don't know what Brady McBride is. Sure. Right? Sure. He has very slim uh, margins or very slim stats at uh, at uh, Memphis. We don't know what, what we're projecting him to be. Obviously, we expect him to be better than We think he's going to be really good personally. Right. But know? obviously, the model can't project that and say, oh, yes, here is a good quarterback. You're yeah. going to bump up 10 spots. Yeah. Obviously, they get knocked down a lot because the entire defense is gone. The entire. That, and that was something we saw coming. Like It was yeah. like no last year we kept watching this offense not produce. It's like, wow, they're really going to waste <laughs> a defense that's – we're going to Brian London. Yeah. That sucks. So, yeah. so um, that's going to be a big question mark, obviously. Uh, again, they've made some very aggressive moves to try to address things. Mm-hmm. We'll see whether they work. Uh, you know, I, I will say, you know, I'm going through uh, the Sunbelt schedule. I don't think is officially out as yet mm. for, for 2020, yet. which, pretty late. by the way, that what the hell? Me. That but, always bugged me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Trust I me, mean, as a beat writer, that always bugged me that we didn't have that until March. Yeah. <laughs> That sucks, but but you know you do know kind of what the splits are going to be in terms of who they play. Right. Uh, Texas State's schedule right now in terms of who they're uh, going to play, mm-hmm. pretty tough. Yeah. I mean, y- you look at you look at that group. So obviously in non-conference they've got SMU and Ohio. You know, 
UTSA is no gimme, obviously, with with sort of the rivalry these guys have. Yep. New Mexico State, obviously, you you better win that game, honestly. But then your road schedule at Georgia Southern, at Troy, at ULM, at South Alabama, those are four games that you would like to have at home because you think that you'd have a better chance to win them. Because mm-hmm. at home you get Arkansas State, Louisiana, App State, and Coastal. Yeah, that's not great. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so so it's it's gonna be it's gonna take a good coaching job for this to work out. Now again. Like we talked about, both of us are very high on Brady McBride. Both of us think that there's, you know, some talent at receiver that can develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're ready to see Dylan Jansen leashed, I know. Right. Uh, but let's just see. Yeah, <laughs> let's we'll see. wait and see. Anyway, uh, the, the next group, only two teams. Uh, number nine, Rice at number 115 in the country, and North Texas at number eight at 111 in the country. Like we talked about, um, you know, North Texas losing Mason Fine. Uh, a guy who wouldn't even really be reflected in this, losing Rico Bussey, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, defensively, they're losing a lot of production. Um, the f- the one thing that you do say about this is that when you look at recent recruiting, North Texas has obviously done a f- phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and with Rice, this is more of a positive, obviously, for Rice. You know, they've moved from kind of being in that bottom five group to now they're kind of just, uh, you know, a slightly below average Conference USA team, right. which is a huge which jump. Is a, yes, yeah, which is a huge still, jump. We're still in the middle of a, of a process. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, for, for me, I, that's the biggest thing I take away from this is mm-hmm. I look at Rice and, and I see their top 10 in the country in returning production. They, you know, they do have to replace what Tom Stewart did at quarterback, but they've got a guy who I'm even higher on coming in in Mike Collins. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be a great fit for that Rice program. Right. Um, you know, obviously, offensive line is going to be a big question mark, too. They lose three upperclassmen offensive linemen because that was a strength for them. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's gone now. But defensively is where they really return a lot of production. Yeah, I think they're number one in returning for, I want to say let number me, one for let defense. Let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. And when you consider that that was a... They are number one. Ninety six percent coming back. That's right. crazy. That is insane. When it's you basically just, Miles Adams, that's it. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so it's so you consider the fact that I mean they had a top seventy ish unit defensively yeah. last year. Yeah. Like that's really good that you're yeah. bringing all of those guys back in a conference USA that's still very much up for grabs. Like yeah. I mean, we talk about the fluctuation of that. I I, I still think that I mean it's obviously between them and the Sun Belt as far as like top to bottom mm-hmm. like just a one big shrug like you just yeah. cause every year it's just one big shrug and we saw rice kind of get on a roll last year and it kind of makes you wonder okay is that is that what we is mm-hmm. the, is it starting to turn right is yeah. the is the wheel starting to turn and a I little feel bit it is right. I, I definitely feel that it is and, and the biggest hurdle was always going to be offensively right what this team was going to do sure. offensively instilling that philosophy but now you have the defensive solidity to lean on yeah and that's something that i mean now that you have that okay now you can see what you can do on offense and kind of continue with that now with a quarterback well and and one thing that i always you know like to point out is that for me mm-hmm. when you look at returning production on defense i think that defensive back returning production is so much more valuable than anything else sure because that is a hard position to learn. You can only learn through experience, especially mm-hmm. at cornerback, right? And their Rice's past defense was not very good last year mm-hmm. and was not very good the year before. But a lot of those guys are now coming back. Yeah. And so, you know, you look, as as these guys start to get more familiar with playing a lot of snaps, defending conference USA receivers, look, you can kind of figure things out in the front seven mm-hmm. with, with, with talent. Yeah. Um, and now that you mentioned, like, I'm looking at it right now. So you have Tyree Thornton, mm-hmm. Prudy Calderon, Treshawn Chamberlain. Those are just the juniors. Right. Like, those are guys that are going to be back like again. Right. So, you know, that's going to be something to watch. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, Blaze Aldridge is the best linebacker in the state that nobody's talking about. Oh, I mean, my gosh, he, yes. He is, 
he is a guy who, you know, heading into into twenty twenty, I think that because we lost a big group of really good linebackers in the state. You mm-hmm. know, guys like Clay Johnston, guys like Brian London. You know, now that those guys are gone, I think that Blaze Aldridge is going to really become one of the guys that we talk about a lot. Uh, so to quickly touch on North Texas, uh, North Texas obviously loses Mason Fine, obviously replaces both coordinators, which I think is going to be a very interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, but talent wise, I mean, they're really up there with almost anybody in conference USA right now for sure no I agree and so I, I think that they're in a good position even though their rankings not very good it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to translate to being very good in 2020 mm-hmm. but I think that it's going to be a, a a little bit of a build a little bit of a grind I mean defensively they return a decent amount of production uh, and they also have some underclassmen who have been helping them out which I think is a positive for the future offensively look they lost a lot of production but that's an area where you think that they're going to figure it out. Right. You would expect – you would give Seth Luttrell the bend for the doubt. But, and he's also calling plays again, right? He is. Okay, he is. So, so uh, not a, I don't think there's too much to be worried about. It is a little jarring to see Nortex all the way down at 111 after sure. what they've done the past couple of years. No, for sure. But um, – Look. Honestly, this is going to be this is going to be a test to see what Seth Luttrell's built. Right. Yeah. We, yeah. This is like every head coach has the gets hot with a recruiting class or right. maybe a quarterback, and they you know they win their right. ten, eleven games or nine, ten, eleven games, and then we don't ever see what happens because they kind of leave after that, right. and we don't know the sustainability. Now it's like okay, we're all fans of Seth Luttrell. He we probably felt they should have been obviously better than what they ended up being the past two years, but. We we saw him as a as a program builder and as a recruiter, right. and now it's like okay, did he build something sustainable? Right. right now, let's see: are those second line guys becoming the first year starters and things like that? Can they keep this rolling? Yeah. So so one thing I want to quickly ask about: so we just went through five teams on the bottom twenty of the state. Yeah. Texas, obviously, just the state, mm-hmm. one of the best producers of talent in the nation. Mm-hmm. Why is it that five of the teams in the state out of twelve? <laughs> yeah. Our bottom twenty. I think partially it has to do with obviously we've seen coaching turnover, right? Yeah, and so that's a part of it is just coaches coaching staffs not properly nurturing this talent. Well and and, and just to jump in, I mean uh-huh. I think it obviously has to be mentioned that Texas State and UTSA are, you know, programs that haven't been playing at this level more than fifteen years. Sure. You know, I think that's certainly something that we at least have to mention. Hundred percent. The other thing is I mean, the fact that they're not exclusive to the state anymore, yeah. these players. Like, you know, we're seeing LSU, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, even not even not even that, Lafayette, Monroe. Like, right. they're coming into the state, um, Arkansas State. They're coming into, the, into Texas and plucking guys away. There's no more hidden gems that, like, you know, you're not going to – I mean – you're not going to typically get the small three-star, two-star guy that's like, oh, I'm just waiting for an offer from Texas State, and I'm going to go <laughs> right. there, and I'm going to dominate. Right. It's like, no, Monroe's like, yeah, no, we'll take that guy. Memphis. Like, yeah, exactly. Memphis as well. Like, yeah. You see guys. I'm trying to find out. There's a name I'm thinking of right now. I'm trying to make sure he's from Texas. I'm pretty sure he is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you look at Caleb Evans at ULM, yeah. right? One of the best yeah. quarterbacks in the Sun Belt, Mansfield, and they just plucked him. He's like, "Yep, let's go." Like, right. <laughs> you don't, you know, a couple years ago he goes to TCU or something. Like, sure. they just pluck him up. It's like, oh, we'll give him a shot, right? Now he he has options, right? Right. No, I mean it is tough. The nationalization of recruiting, I think, has been something that I think has. I think it's hurt California more, but I think oh, it's sure, really sure. hurt Texas. Yeah. Um, because, like you mentioned, you have everybody coming in here. Obviously, you know, we all talk about sort of the, uh, you know, the entrance, especially with Texas A&M going to the SEC, the entrance of the SEC into Texas. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely been a factor. Um, I mean, and, and the thing is, too, right, because when we talk about that, obviously, 
it, we're talking about sort of the top teams, especially sort right. of the Alabamas, the the Clemsons, not Clemson, but LSU, whatever, uh, coming in. But I think that obviously it's a you know it's there's a ripple down effect. Um, and the other thing too, though, is just I think that we are evaluating talent at a much higher level than yeah. we did before. I mean, these guys aren't getting missed to the same extent, right? You have indiv- you have sites like two four seven who can assign a team three reporters right. and like all of a sudden you know if if somebody offers this two-star kid and he's like who's this guy they're gonna have three stories up instantly about explaining right. what he's about why they're looking at him why he's not getting and offered everybody by can go watch his tape tomorrow right and so I, I think it is getting harder in a lot of ways to try to to compete at this level and then on top of that i mean we have gone now from 10 to 12 fbs teams in texas mm-hmm. i think that makes it tougher because it, you know, look, there was a time that, that, like you mentioned, I mean, if you're a kid in Houston, I mean, you know, you don't get offered by Houston, well, then you just go to Rice, you yeah. know, uh, if you academically can, can sort of do that. Uh, you know, there, there's a time where UTEP's like, all right, we can just kind of scour West Texas. We can kind of scour, uh, you know, sort of the guys who get missed at some of these bigger schools in Dallas and, and Houston. But now... Again, now they can go to North Texas is becoming a stronger option for these kids. Obviously, now then you add UTSA to the mix and you add Texas State to the mix. And and look, I mean, if you are to sort of rank how those teams, you know, can recruit right now and and what they they can kind of do. Yeah. I mean, look, a lot of kids would rather stay closer to home and go to UTSA than go to Utah. Sure. Uh, and, And more of those kids would rather go to North Texas if you're in the Metroplex, for example. Like, it's just. There's so much competition. Now I'm looking at I'm looking at one example right here. I'm sticking in Sunbelt because that's that's where my bread was buttered. Um, <laughs> but you look, Kalen Geiger at Troy, yeah, right from Fort Worth Paschal. Yeah, uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Navarro, I think it's Pascal. He, Pascal, sorry. Yeah. Um, he went to Navarro College. Yeah. One offer out of Navarro College was <laughs> Troy. He was a first team All Sunbelt receiver this year. Yeah. Like he had over 800 yards receiving. Um, yeah, he was named no- newcomer of the year this past season. Yeah, and it's like one offer, guy in TCU again. That guy typically might go to TCU. Oh, that kid would go to right? TCU, right? And so, again, Troy was like, "Yeah, sure, let's take a shot on this kid," yeah. and he ends up being their best receiver. <laughs> so, only getting harder. But let's go ahead and move forward. Uh, there's a big jump, obviously. North yeah. Texas number one eleven, and this has been kind of how it's been the past couple of years. Except usually North Texas has been in the top group. Uh, number seven, Houston at number 63, number six, Texas Tech at 59, and number five, SMU at 56. So my immediate thought right here is that I'm a little surprised that Houston is this high, that they're this close to SMU. I, I, I am too. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just kind of saw um, this past season, and I think, I, I don't know if we underestimated it. I mean, I, obviously we did un- underestimate it, but... I don't know. I don't just seeing it like you said, seeing it this high is and stark. I, or I, really startling. I, I must mention Houston, number three in returning production. Man. And uh number three specifically on defense and number forty two on offense. I mean I don't wanna overreact, but did did Dana at least have an inkling of an idea of what he did, was doing? Did Dana do the thing? <laughs> did Dana do the thing where he was like, Yeah, let's see. <laughs> let's see what these guys got because I know I'm bringing back a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because look, I I think that obviously with SMU they lose they lose a lot more. That's yeah. the biggest thing, right? And that's probably the biggest reason that they kind of fell. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think personally, you know, this is just me. I think that SMU is probably going to outperform that ranking because of some of the transfers they bring in. So you know, I think they've recruited pretty well. And and obviously having a quarterback receiver combination like Bouchelle and Reggie Robertson, I think sure. that they'll probably outperform this. 
But, I mean, the fact that Houston's kind of right on their heels. Man. That's a, that's a little surprising to me. Yeah, I'm wondering uh, that gamble with what he pulled this year. Yeah. I'm wondering if they win seven games. Yeah. Is that going to change how a lot of coaches use that rule? Because it was crazy when it happened. Yeah. And it's like you're literally punting a season. But if you're somebody like Dana who has a long leash at Houston, right? Yeah. They're not firing him. Is that something some more coaches consider? I don't think you can win seven and do that. I think that he has to win like ten before anybody would think about that. Because Fair. Because Fair, but... Because here's the thing is that if you're uh, going to... Like, Houston would have won seven games last year if D.R. King plays. That's fair. Like, they're not gaining something that they didn't have before. Right. You know, the idea is that if you're going to sacrifice a season, you want that to basically count to the next season. Now, again, I think that both of us are sort of of the opinion that D.R. King was probably going to leave when when he talked about it. I mean, you know, I think he was going to explore his options, Mm -hmm. but I think that that both Dana Holgerson and D.R. King probably knew that there was a good chance that he was going to look elsewhere. Right. Um, You know, Keith Corbin, if Keith Corbin has a great senior year, I think that's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Carr has a big senior year, which he showed a lot in those games that he got to play a lot last right. year, you know, that's a big deal. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know what to think about this. Um, again, I mean, I, I think that obviously they're going to be bolstered by having some defensive transfers who, again, won't be taken into account in this ranking even necessarily. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's... It's hard to know. It's, it, that's really the big thing. Obviously, they they lose out by losing that uh, that big time Alabama linebacker transfer who yeah. who was kicked off the team. That would have been obviously a, a a big deal to have him on the roster. But um, you know, I mean, they have a lot coming back. They have you know with Keith Corbin and Marquez Stevenson, like that's a good receiving core. And then you bring back Kyle Porter and Mulbacar. Mm-hmm. Then defensively, we mentioned there's the defensive there. Yeah. They bring back so much. And that was a unit that was really good last season. Yeah. And just for, uh, just for some perspective, uh, you know, so, so Houston's number 63, that's one spot ahead of West Virginia. That's three spots ahead of Maryland. Like this is like power five level. Yeah. Right. Right. Like not- this is where I mean, this isn't exactly where Houston wants to be, but they want to be yeah. considered, in that same conversation as like that lower power five, right? Pro- those lower power five programs. Yeah, yeah, no questions. And uh, and and just to touch on SMU quickly. So again, SMU number twenty eight in returning offense production. Defensively is really w- where the questions are going to be. They yeah. do bring back uh, linebacker Richard McBride got a sixth year. Uh, they will have some transfers come in. That's going to help. Um, they did have a lot of guys who. One who who uh, you know had maybe two or three years left who played a little last year mm-hmm. who were transfers and then they also obviously have some guys who sat out last year who are going to be eligible now um, and and brought in a great recruiting class too of course so I think that they have a little bit of untapped potential there too uh, again and having a game changing quarterback in Shane Bouchelle that's obviously something that you can't necessarily even account for sure um, and and look I mean. Obviously, they won't have James Prochet, but they didn't have Reggie Robertson for the home stretch of last year either. Mm-hmm. And now they got Robertson. Uh, I want to say that they got a receiver named Danny Gray from Blinn Community College, who uh, who was one of the top receivers in JUCO last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they also have Rasheed Rice, who, who showed a lot last year. Like, I mean, they've got options. Running back's going to be a question for them. But offensively, I think that they're going to be pretty dang set. Defensively, again, they've got a lot going on there. they got to replace a lot of protection. But if they can find some way to do that, I mean, they, this team has the potential to be pretty good again. Maybe oh, not yeah. 10 wins again, but be pretty dang competitive. Uh, just to touch on Texas Tech as well. 
So they're 59. Um, they are number 43 in offensive SP plus, number 76 in defensive. It's hard to figure out what to expect in year two, just because you have the Bowman thing. You don't the Bowman really, thing helps. I mean, what happens with just in general with the year two? Right? Yeah. I think year one. If you look at if you close your eyes and don't look at the record, obviously I would consider that a success. Um, considering where they were supposed to be, yeah, and where they were coming from, and where they were, you know, I, I think we thought it would take a lot more. It, I thought it would take a lot more year, or not a lot more, but at least two years before they start looking like a Matt Wells team. Sure, and I think that you can leave year one saying, yeah, that, that if that's what Matt Wells' team is are going to look like, yeah, I'm on for the ride. Yeah, I think defensively they did a great job of instilling the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jordan Brooks was a big part of that, and he's gone now. But, yeah. And I think that's something that has to be mentioned. Um, you know, when you look at really both sides of the roster, I think one thing that's kind of interesting, right? Because like, uh, you know, we talked about Rice and how I think that they're going to take a step, right? Right. You know, we're trying to we're starting to sort of uh, you know evaluate rosters a little bit, especially looking for sort of all Texas college team uh, for the magazine, and uh, just going through the rosters generally. I mean, it's a little surprising. Like, Tech has a lot of standout players, right? You know, I mean, they got guys like Jack Anderson, they got guys like TJ Vasher, they got guys like uh, you know on defense Adrian Fry, mm-hmm. Eli Howard. Like, these are guys who are real standout players, like guys who are going to be competing for all Big Twelve. Yeah. Um, the question is obviously that next group, right? It, it's not the starters. It's not the, the stars. It's how good is the you know the the twenty fourth best player on the team? How good is the thirty second best player on the team? That's really where the issue's been. Um, and and Matt Wells completely understands that from our conversations. I, I, I mean, he he does understand that the team needs to get older. They need to probably be open to the transfer wire. They obviously need to develop well. But um, you know, look. Year two is not going to be their year. That, right. That's not going to be the year that they take the step. No, I, I think especially. They, I mean, you, like you mentioned, Brooks. They lost. They lose Coleman as well. I believe. Defend, do they lose? Coleman? Yeah, they yeah, lose Douglas Coleman def- so, defensively. You know, two huge losses yeah, for this yeah. team. So I mean, obviously, all American ex- caliber. Right. Exactly. So <laughs> expecting know? them to take the the step right in right. year two. Come on. <laughs> yeah, and and now Bowman's really entering year one in yeah, the system. That's fair. Um, it was interesting. I, I did get a chance to talk to David Yost. You know, I, I was curious, like. Judd Tuffy played really well last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was curious how much they sort of uh, were going to treat Alan Bowman as a returning starting quarterback, per mm-hmm. se. You know, and, and they were like, no, he's our guy. There's no question about it, mm-hmm. which, you know, maybe not a huge surprise based on how he came in. But, I mean, he didn't play super well in his first couple of games. But right. they still very much view him as the guy heading forward, which I think is, is a good credit to him. And, sure. um, you know, you know ta- hearing uh, David Yost talk during some of his uh, his talk to the Lone Star Coaching Clinic, like, he was like, no, Alan Bowman understands what we're trying to do. Like, mentally, he's really engaged. Now, obviously, mm. he's still trying to figure it out, um, you know, in terms of actually playing the games because he hasn't played them. Right. But, but I think that that's a credit to them. I think that that means that they're also optimistic about what he can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but again, the jump won't happen this year most likely, but, uh, but I think it's coming. I think it's eventually coming. All right, next group. Who else? Baylor and TCU. Yeah. <laughs> right next to each <laughs> other. Surprisingly, uh, Baylor, the number three team in the state at number 33, TCU, number four at number 36. Uh, <laughs> first of all, these teams should always be by each other sure. because that's for a lot of fun for everyone. <laughs> I, well, I don't know if they like it, but <laughs> but it's a lot of fun for me. Uh, Baylor, lots of 
Lost production. Yep. Lots and lots and lots of lost production. On the field and on the sideline. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Literally everywhere. Yes, yes. Uh, obviously, defensively, they're losing nine starters. They rank number 127 in returning defense production. A uh, couple of those a little surprising, especially Graylin Arnold, I think, leaving right. was a pretty big surprise. James Lynch was a guy who we thought might leave, but obviously when Matt Rule left, it was kind of like, eh, you know, mm-hmm. what are we doing here? Right. Uh, TCU, uh, on the other hand... Where are they in returning production? I don't love the way that ESPN sets up their their webpage because it makes it really hard to control F because they have like the infinity the side, scroll thing. Yeah, thirty six, thirty six, thirty six. Wait, oh. no, is that? Nope, I think mm, I have it. No, I don't think so. Nope, this is great radio. They're number sixty four. <sighs> okay, okay, yeah. so they are uh, top thirty six and overall SMP. Sorry, yes, yes, yes. Um, so they are number fifty one returning defense production. They did lose some big time players like Ross Blacklock, um, but. I think that the thing to be most excited about at TCU is that those two safeties back there, Trayvon Morig and uh, Ardarius Washington, Mm -hmm. those are two guys who could be All-Americans. Absolutely. They are big, big, big time players. Mm -hmm. And and obviously Gary Patterson, you know, kind of uses the safeties differently. He lines them up in man coverage a lot. He has them roam a lot. Like, it just depends. But these are guys who can do both. Mm -hmm. And uh, both of them, I think, had four or five interceptions last year. I, I mean, they're big-time players. The big question defensively is how they're going to replace that cornerback production from Jeff Gladney yeah. um, and, and Julius Lewis. Uh, you know, they had guys kind of play a little bit, especially since Julius Lewis was hurt, but nobody anywhere near that that caliber. Uh, you know, defensive line, they do lose Ross Blacklock, but he wasn't as good last year as we kind of expected him to be coming back from the Achilles injury. He was fine. Yeah. Um, you know, they lose Shamik Blackshear at, on at defensive end who is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, they bring back a Sean Mathis who started to figure things out a little later in the year uh, on that defensive tackle rotation. I mean, they've got Terrell Cooper. Uh, they've got Corey Bethley. Those are two good players are going to be just fine there. Offense is really going to be the question for TCU. For sure. Again. Uh, <laughs> I, okay, let me let me ask you this, right? Yeah. Are you a Max Duggan believer? Oh, God. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean to be a Max Duggan believer? Um. So so here's what I've I've told my friends, you know, because uh, I'm I've got a lot of TCU people that I that I've worked with before, right? Yeah. And and they're all over the place on him, right? Like right. some some people are like. This guy's a star, and offensive coaches will want to coach him. Star. Okay. And I'm like, I don't know define, about that. Define so, star. <laughs> so he reminds me, and to be clear, he is way earlier in his development than he than and than this guy who I'm going to mention. And on top of that, in any normal situation, mm. uh, and I mean like any any other program in the country, basically, he would not be playing as yet. Mm-hmm. He would he would be waiting a year or two so that he can like learn how to play football at this sure. level first. He reminds me in a weird way of freshman Charlie Brewer, but if Charlie Brewer completed fifteen percent less of his passes. Oh man! It, because he's got he's got sort of that um, you know ability to make plays. He's yeah. got that ability to see the field. I think that he did a good job reacting to pressure. Mm-hmm. The issue is he can't make the throws right now. No, God, no, he can't. And and, and that's a huge issue. Yeah, I. If by saying I'm a believer, am I saying that he should be the starter week one? Then probably, yeah. <laughs> like I just I don't know. I, we apparently, I mean, 
I don't know what's up with Matthew Baldwin, right? Maybe he just wasn't. It, it doesn't I found sound it, good. I found it. I did find it weird a senior year when he went from a Colorado State commit yeah. to an Ohio State offer during yeah. the playoffs. Yeah, and so probably shouldn't have happened. Right, exactly. So maybe we're dealing with a guy who was more or less a Colorado State level of player, um, and he got a little bit overhyped because he committed to Ohio State, and then obviously went back to TCU. Well, well, and, and Gary, he, there's a good chance that he got in front of Gary. Obviously, he was hurt too coming yeah. back, but there's a good chance he got in front of Gary, and Gary's like, "Oh, this is it." Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, well, the other thing too, though, is that he's still apparently kind of hurt. Right. He, no, he, he's, he's, he's he tore his ACL his senior year of high school. Yeah. He was nursing that basically his entire freshman season. Yeah. And I mean, he bar- when did he start throwing last year? So, so that was the thing. He he was cleared to I think start throwing and cleared to kind of practice a little bit in like October or November. Uh huh. But the word is that he miss he might miss some of spring camp. Yeah. Because like he's hurt again. It. And and look, I mean. Matthew Baldwin was a really good player in that playoffs. Right. Uh, Matthew Baldwin had a phenomenal senior year at Lake Travis. Matthew Baldwin, if he had started more than one year, probably would have had high major uh, sort of uh, sure. offers at that point. I mean, yeah. he, he was unlucky that he only got to start his senior year. Right. Um, Ohio State's a little generous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit of a generous offer, I think, from what we saw. Uh, you know, TCU, I think, could have been the right place for him from, from the get-go. Right. right. Uh, here's the issue, is that... If Matthew Baldwin can't stay healthy, yeah, then you know it's like the Justin Rogers thing, right? Like Justin Rogers is probably super talented, but we can't see it. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, when you are hurt, you can't work on your game. Yeah, you you kind of have to just get back to where you were. You mm-hmm. can't move forward. That was again, I mean, something that we saw with Justin Rogers is like Justin Rogers coming out of high school was dynamic. He was, you know, all all these things, but it's like he was he spent his entire TCU. TCU career trying to get healthy yeah and now you got Matthew Baldwin who again we're 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 sort of wondering how good he's in the first place yeah you know he's not sort of a your typical oh he was a you know he's not Joe Burrow right right he's not Joe Burrow leaving 250 kid who who, by the way I have heard enough about how Joe Burrow didn't have any offers out of high school but that's a whole other thing (laughs) uh that's a whole fun stuff anywhere they can don't go from ohio state to lsu if you if nobody believed in you whatever whatever (laughs) honestly we can have an entire show the bigger uh, reason not to believe in joe burrow is because we saw him play in 2018 that was more the question but anyway uh that's beside the point but but you know so matthew baldwin now obviously steps into this room if he's not going to be healthy in the spring then i i don't know how he's ever going to compete for this job that's fair um TCU does have a commitment from the number one dual threat quarterback in the junior college ranks, um, but he's a guy who also completed about fifty six percent of his passes. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, I mean, he's a dynamic guy, but he's also probably not ready to to do things at this level. And their offensive coach situation is extremely weird, yeah. where they've just hired Jerry Kill, of, of course, the dynamic offensive mind, to lead the offense. Kind you know, of. Max Duggan reminds me of actually. Who's that? Like I think, like like face the straight up. Case McCoy. Oh, that's so mean. <laughs> that's not, tell me, like, not very accurate. He's kind of thrust oh, into the position man. where this offense clearly needs a quarterback, and yeah. he's just the best they have. And I'm, I'm like, you see the ceiling with him. You see where he's at right now, and you see the ceiling, and it's like, well, okay, well, here's Mar. It's marginally better. Yeah. Right. And Case McCoy also. Didn't have a strong arm. Yeah. Right? Relied on his well, legs to I get him through say, a lot of situations. I will say that yeah. Max Duggan does have a strong arm. He just doesn't have an accurate arm. Fair enough. And Fair enough. and so that's the thing for me is I think that 
I don't think I'd call myself a Max Duggan believer at this point. Yeah. Um, that's, why, that's why I asked, like, what does yeah, that mean? Yeah, like, yeah, it, but, I think he should be the starter week one because I just don't think TCU has anybody better right now. I think he has upside. Again, I would really like – in fact, I'm not even going to say that. I would love if Max Duggan did not have to to play a competitive football game next year <laughs> right. so that he could just develop. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, I, I think that – There's we, something there. There's absolutely something there. I mean, there's a reason that, that he was that level of commit, but he also came in from a small school in Iowa. Yeah. You know, like, it's it's too big a jump. Yeah. And, and, like, you don't – I mean, let's put it this way. You don't have the game he had against Tech. Yeah. You don't uh, have – The game the, he had against Texas. The game against Texas. You don't have the – third or the quarter of a game against Baylor <laughs> like because he was he, God, he, what he a, has like, he was what like, a time oh my god I, know, I right? still cannot believe that um, game you don't have like points. a quarter or a third of the game against Baylor that he does unless right. you have something right well and that that's the sort of thing where it's like I I sort of see the vision a little bit you know like yeah. again it reminded me that Baylor game especially I think uh reminded me a lot of Charlie Brewer against West Virginia his freshman yeah. year where it was just like this, oh He's like, they, this, they kid should, this kid should be overmatched. Right, right. But he just keeps doing it. Right. And, uh, and, and look, TC fans, stay out of my mentions. Clearly stepped out of bounds, okay? But, but, <laughs> you know, but obviously, you know, did, did a lot of good stuff and, right. and obviously, you know, did, did enough to basically carry TCU through that game offensively. Um, look, we don't have to make this whole segment about Max Duggan, obviously. Right. Uh, we have all offseason to do that. <laughs> and, and we absolutely will. But, uh, but running back, that's yeah. going to be a huge issue for them. Offensive line, that's going to be a huge issue for them. That's the other thing. Oh, receiver. Yeah. That might be the biggest issue oh, on the roster man. right now. Yeah. Tate Barber's a good player. Yeah. That's all I have to say. I was about to say, like, <laughs> he is a good player. He's not Jalen Rager. Um, um, and they, there's like uh, nine, like, you're looking at less than 1% of humanity, that is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one thing I will say, they do bring in Quentin Johnston okay. from Temple, mm-hmm. uh, top 100 receiver in the nation. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they really are hopeful that he can be potentially a game changer right away, but they kind of need him to be. Like, yeah. they kind of need him to be Jalen Rager level right away. Oh, man. Uh, I mean, just in order to have a sure. decent offense. Sure, sure. And that that's a lot to ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say, I mean, not that we need to run through every position on their roster, Pro Wells at tight end proved that he could be a receiver last year and, mm-hmm. and actually did a lot of good things. But it, it's going to be a lot to ask for TC to, to have a lot offensively. I mean, it's just hard to know what to expect. Because the thing is, right, whenever Gary Patterson has a down year, it's usually setting up an up year, right? Like, that's how it's been his whole career. Kind of what we said last year. But but uh, <laughs> the stat only applies if he finishes with a losing record. Oh, okay. okay. And he finished seven and six the year before that. Okay, fair uh, enough. Fair enough. So this year is the is this a trend or is this just a thing that happened? Okay. Unfortunately, I, it kind of feels just like a thing that happens. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's a lot harder to do in the Big Twelve than it is anywhere else. And mm-hmm. like you know, because because twenty twelve uh, and twenty thirteen TC, well twenty thirteen rather TCU. Like, that was a young team. That was a team that it's like, okay, we're going to get an infusion of, of talent, obviously, coming into the Big 12. We're going to get Sonny Cumbie and Doug Meacham are on the offense. And and that's the thing, too, is that they haven't changed anything. Mm-hmm. You know, they haven't – because, like, heading into 2014, they dynamically changed their offense so that Trevon Boykin could do things, basically. And it worked. Uh, they don't have that coming in unless unless Jerry Kill is the secret Lincoln Riley of the night of you know people born in the 1950s. Right. Like I don't know what we're doing here, mm-hmm. but uh, but you know TC is going to be a very competitive team once again. But I just don't know where the step comes. So uh, Baylor obviously lost a lot of production. Uh, I'm most interested to see, and I think that their season is going to hinge on this. 
where does their offense go? Because they bring in Larry Fedora to run it. Mm-hmm. I think that Larry Fedora and Charlie Brewer is a great combination. I really do, too. I, yeah. I think that that's a great fit. Um, you know, and, and talent-wise, like, I think they're going to be fine on offense. Uh, defensively, I think it's going to be a big question after losing nine guys. They do bring in a defensive head coach in Dave Aranda. But, but again, I mean, it, it's just going to be, I think, a little bit of a transition on that side of the ball with how many guys have to replace. And the biggest question to me, right, because – I actually said this uh, last year. I think that had everybody who we thought could come back came back and also Phil Snow and, and Matt Roll had stayed, I think this team could have been as good as it was last year. Mm-hmm. But here's the issue. Here's Baylor's road schedule in 2020. At Oklahoma, at Texas Tech, at Texas, at Iowa State, at West Virginia. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, looking at this, because, like, their easiest road game of the year, not counting the neutral. Well, and, and even they have a neutral side against Ole Miss too, which isn't a gimme either. Right. Uh, their easiest road game of the year is at Texas Tech with year two under Matt Wells. And by the way, Texas Tech fans not huge fans of Baylor. Right. <laughs> so like that's your easiest game, and then you have to go again at Texas I- Iowa State at Oklahoma, the three probably best teams in the conference, and. and the other team that you get at home, who's probably going to beat you, is Oklahoma State, yeah. who Returns I think could be the best offense. I, I right think now. that they could be a dang problem next year. Yeah. And then on top of that, you go at West Virginia. I think they're going to be better next year too. And by the way, their defensive line murdered you last year. <laughs> so it's it's going to be interesting to see what, what kind of record they finish with because I sure. think that they could be a good team like I think that they could be a, the sort of team that usually wins nine games in the Big 12 and still win only seven sure I don't know and, and then on top of that I mean we really don't know what the offense is going to look like you know again we we say Larry Fedora and George Munoz I think it's going to be a good fit with what they've got but they got to do it too mm-hmm. so I, I think that those two teams right next to each other makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. No, I agree with that. <laughs> They're going to be fighting for really, really, okay, because I think that Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, I think any one of those four teams could make the Big 12 title game. Sure. And then there's going to be a dogfight in the middle, and Baylor and TCU are going to be right in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. All right, we're up to the top. Do you know who the top? Uh, I, I guess you've looked, or have you not, to see which the top? Team I can see the. I, I know between who, the I mean, two of them. Yeah, I can guess the order. Um, I'm gonna say Texas is around 15. Okay. And A and M is above them. I'll say 11 ish. <laughs> you were very close. Texas A&M number 10, Texas number 14. Oh, it was one off. Yeah, of yeah, okay. yeah. So I knew A&M was first, but yeah. I didn't know exactly what. Yeah. Order. So, uh, so look, Texas and Texas A&M, lots of returning production between the two of them, of course. Yep. Uh, and by yeah. the way, let's all, before anybody gets angry about anything, we this this was always the year for both of them. Yes. 2020 was the year where you're like, okay, you see. They're going to have so many sophomores turning into juniors, so many juniors turning into seniors. This was the year for both the programs. <coughs> year three under Jimbo, year four under Herman. What year is this? Herman? Five? Uh, God, how long has he been there? 17, 18, 19, 20. Year feel four. Like, okay, I feel like we've gone over every narrative with him already. Um, so year four under Herman. <laughs> so <laughs> he's, he's fired. He's not fired. He's, 
He's made his. Uh, he's the best coach in the country. He's the, the worst best coach, coach in the country, country right? It's yeah. Todd Orlando's fault. Like, right. We, yeah, we've we, heard we, it all, man. He's fired the whole staff. He's uh, yeah. on his last Which, legs. By the way, like, five new assistants. Right. So you know, but um, no, this was always going to be the year. So seeing them, seeing the statistics and kind of the the analytical take, saying like, yeah, these teams probably should be pretty good this year. Yeah, yeah. Is well, kind of reass- is really reassuring. Yeah. Well, and for me, I mean, I before last season, yeah. I, I was talking to people at both Texas and Texas A&M and kind of joking with them, like, man, twenty nineteen is going to be a tough year. I thought for both of them, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I, I mean. Texas lost everything on defense. It's not like we couldn't have seen this coming. Right. Uh, and Texas A&M had one of the worst schedules we've ever seen. They respond with having one of the easiest schedules that you'll ever get in the SEC in mm-hmm. 2020. Uh, you know, shout out to Greg Tepper. This is a Missouri-level schedule. <laughs> so, so you replace Clemson with Colorado, who Colorado, uh, have they named their head coaches yet? They did, right? Uh, or, no, 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 it was... No, uh, Bielema is the, the rumor. Yeah, it's like the newest I, hot rumor. Yeah, so... so. Not a bad hire for them, yeah, but, no, you know... Uh, cool. I don't know, A&M <laughs> didn't have a problem beating him before, so... <laughs> no, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, you got a whole lot of new coaches in the SEC West. Mike Leach, you know, will have some success in Mississippi State, but they shouldn't be A&M level. Ole Miss, kind of a little bit of a mess right now. Mm-hmm. Lane Kiffin's coming in there, also a little bit of a mess himself, Uh Chad Morris out at Arkansas. They're bringing in, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Sam Pittman. I yes. blanked for a second. I know, there. right? I could see his face, which is honestly the you weirder way to, to, yeah. But Sam Pittman, uh, who, by the way, I'm very intrigued by this. We'll mm-hmm. see if it works. Uh, but I'm very intrigued. That That's the word that I'll give them, is that I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, obviously a new coach. Uh, so, like, those three should be very manageable games. Um We'll have to see whether or not this is a fire guess here. Who knows? Um, I mean, they do lose. Uh, Auburn does lose a lot on the defense side of the ball. Which, Especially on the D-line. Yeah. Which, by the way, has carried them the, the past yep. many years. Yep. <laughs> you know, every, I mean, every good Auburn year, it's because they have a top three defensive line in the country. Well, well, well to, to be fair, 2013 uh, Auburn was a lot about their offense. True. Fair enough. But they still had Nick Fairley on that other side yes, anchoring yes. that defensive yes, line. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and again, we are talking about Gus's first year. Right. So <laughs> that's, that's how far we have to go back to this. Um, you know, I, I, you want to talk about believers. I'm not particularly a Bonix believer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that Auburn's a manageable game. They do have to go on the road, which AM has struggled doing. Uh, they replace, uh, I, I want to say they replace Georgia with Vanderbilt. So, mm-hmm. you know, cool. Yeah. <laughs> there's we'll a, take that. <laughs> there's a very real chance that they go through their first 10 games undefeated. Mm-hmm. And really, worst case scenario is 9-1. and one. Mm-hmm. Um, And then they get Alabama and LSU the last two weeks, which... We'll not, not great. I mean, we'll but see. but Alabama and LSU also replacing a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. I mean, you return a very good running back in Isaiah Spiller to help yep. spell uh, Kellen Mond from having to do everything. Yeah. Um, you return, is it the entire offensive line? Basically. I mean, more or less. Um, yeah. You bring him back. Let's see, you're bringing back Jamon Osmond. You're bringing mm-hmm. back targets in the receiving – basically every target in the receiving – Courtney Davis leaving was a little weird. But right. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, um, uh, you know. but you still bring back a lot. Right, right. And, and on top of that, yeah, you add Demon Demas. Yes, you add Demon Demas. By the way, you add 
Um, um, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Tight end. Uh, missed the oh, year. Oh, uh, Baylor Cup. Baylor Cup to pair with um, uh, Weidemeyer, who, who, who had a really good year. Good. Yeah, so you, had, so you add your arguably your best tight end, who did not play last year, yeah. was probably expected to play quite a bit, yeah. gets hurt. You add him to a uh, freshman, now sophomore tight end, who had a really big breakout year. Definitely. Like, so now, okay, now Jimbo's going to have some fun with some 12 personnel now, maybe two tight end sets, and have some, yeah. have some creativity to go with it. Yeah, yeah. And then on the defensive end, I mean, obviously, Mike Elko's done a great job there. Mm-hmm. Uh, their linebacker production should be fantastic. Damani Richardson's the name that you need to know yes. heading into <laughs> 2020. That that dude is, I'm not saying he's going to be like an All-America caliber, mm-hmm. but he's not that far away. Right. Like, he is, he was a true freshman last year, right? Was he? Let me see. I think he was. It's not fair. Keep talking it's just not fair, man. It's so unfair. Yes, he was that, a freshman. Oh my god, it's <laughs> so unfair. But um, you know, defensive line. I think that that's going to be the real question mark after losing Justin Matabuki because yep. they didn't have a whole lot of dy- dynamic players on that defensive line other than him. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of every down sort of. Uh, um, I pressures. mean, I'm gonna say this might be a big spot for Demarvin Leal to be that guy. Yes. Like, because he played, he played in spots last year, right? He was still a freshman, still coming in, um, but he was a very highly touted recruit. I thought he was the best player when he was playing at Judson, that it, at least top five in the state. And I think that this is a year, this is a big opportunity to, for him to be that big playmaker. And, and I'm also being, I'm definitely being unfair to Bobby Brown, too. He wasn't mm-hmm. a guy who put up a lot of big numbers, but, mm-hmm. but he was a guy who had a big impact on games. But now... You know, that's going to be the thing. Can Leal and Bobby Brown and some of those other guys on that defensive line unit, can they be disrupted? Because if they can, man, like, beasts are all there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, you know, I kind of joked last year during the, the 2019 season that with the schedule that AM has in 2020, they could have been the exact same team as they were last year yeah. and gone 10-3. and three. Yeah. You know, I mean, without changing anything. And now maybe you are changing things for the better. You know, maybe you are, uh, you know, adding some running backs, obviously, to add to that depth. Maybe you are adding a guy like Demond Demons. Because, I mean, it's been a little while since since AM has had a truly dynamic receiver. Sure. Right. And not that Demons is going to be that right away, necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot to ask of a kid. But, I mean, he's, he's a guy who's going to be in the rotation, I think, right away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, you add a guy like that to a rotation that already includes a guy like Osborn. I mean, I think that's going to be a big deal. Offensive line, look, I mean, I don't love all the guys on that offensive line, but they're now all seniors, basically. Yeah. You know, uh, other than, obviously, Kenyon Green, who I do love, but mm-hmm. is a true sophomore. So, so like, there's going to be some, uh, some guys there. I think that you could even see some, some uh, other guys push for playing time behind some of the entrenched guys on that offensive line, which I think would be a, a huge deal for this team i mean look you brought in jimbo fisher to create this team right here Mm -hmm. this 2020 team you you brought them in to have a senior quarterback you brought them in to have a running game that you can believe in with a running back you can believe in you Mm -hmm. brought them in to have high level nfl caliber receivers offensive line again it's that's really a big question but we're in wait and see mode and i think there's optimism and defensively i mean look i i think that the the sort of uh secret about jimbo fisher teams is that while he's the offensive guy they need a great defense to be able to perform at the level that they want to perform at. And they should have it next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that 2020 could be the year that Mike Elko finally gets a head coaching job. Right. You know, I mean, I think that, that this is the unit that could give it to him. So a lot of stuff lining up for me. I mean, again, they're starting number 10 and, and they have a lot of, uh, and, and obviously they bring back a lot of production, but I think that they have a lot of untapped upside on that roster right now mm-hmm. that I think will only help a, a, as well. And, and again, you pair that with the fact, I mean, let, let me pull this up again. I mean, they're number 10 
So the teams that they play that are ahead of them, mm-hmm. they play LSU, who's number six, but a lot of question marks. I mean, a lot of question marks. If you're going to beat LSU again, it's a good year to do it at Kyle Field. And then they play Alabama, who's ranked number one in SP+. Plus. So, like, those are the only two games where you're playing somebody who's ahead of you right now. Now, you do yeah. have to go on the road at Auburn. That's going to be a tough game. Mm-hmm. But, man, if you can survive that game... Like, you endless, can finish 11-1. and one. Endless height. Endless ceiling. Right. Like, and so you look at... The other thing I want to look at the schedule, too, is how many great... They're going to have a very senior-heavy pass uh, secondary. Yes. Right? Yes. And so they bring in, I believe, TJ Rushing was their other... Yes. Was their new hire yes. for a defensive yes. backs coach um, from Memphis. They plucked him from um, Florida State after um, yes. uh, Norville got that job. That secondary is not going to really be tested. No. Like, I'm, I'm looking like that secondary should be able to impose their will on a lot of these teams. Well, well let's just quickly go through. I mean, I, I don't want to spend too much time sure, on this. Sure, sure. Abilene Christian, North Texas, Colorado, Arkansas. At Mississippi State's going to be where you're going to see the air raid happen. And, right. and KJ Costello's well, a even, good Well, even Arkansas, because they have... Uh, they have uh, uh, Felipe well, Frank's coming in. Yes, yes, and, Felipe and, Frank's and Kendall Bryles. And Kendall Bryles' offense. So those two games are going to be where you're going to see something. Right. But, but that's it's kind of going to be like a... A tune-up almost. Right. You know, they're not <laughs> like gonna, you're, you're, I'm telling you, these, the secondary is going to be able to feast on a lot right. of these games. Right. So so versus Arkansas at Mississippi State, those are going to be games to kind of uh, tune things up. Fresno State uh, at Auburn. I mean, again, they've got talented receivers, but like... It's not really what I, Gus wants to do. I, I think you can get to Bo Nix. Right. I, and, and that's the thing. If you can get to Bo Nix, all bets are off. He's done. <laughs> right. I mean, we even saw that in the second half of last year's game. Like, True. Auburn should have won that game 60-10, to 10, and <laughs> right. they won it 28-20. to 20. Right. Like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. You know, what are we doing here? Uh, at South Carolina, obviously it shouldn't be tested. Uh, Ole Miss is going to be interesting Ole Miss is going to be interesting. There's a lot of no, no guarantees. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. But... Um, Vanderbilt should be no problem. Then, then you go at Alabama, where where obviously uh, Tua's going to be gone. Obviously, Jerry Judy's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you do have to play against Jalen Waddle, and you do have to play against Devonte Smith. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be, I, I think, a good spot where we're going to figure some things out. And again, I mean, they're probably going to lose that game, and that's okay. Right. Then you come back home against LSU. You have to play against uh, Jamar Chase. Yeah, that's going to be a big test. Uh, Terrace Marshall, I think, is the other big time receiver that they have coming back. Um, you know, so they have big time receivers coming back, but it's going to be Miles Brennan throwing them the ball. Uh, the defense has lost so much. Here's the one thing that I'll say. I think it would have been a really good thing for them to play LSU early in the year. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> you know? uh, we're about to talk about Texas, and yeah. I, I, there's a re- yeah, we'll talk about why yeah. exactly that is, but yeah. I 100% agree. Yeah, you would have, I think, rather played them early in the year, but I still think that Texas A&M can beat 2020 LSU. Sure. Uh, it's, it's very possible. And look, here's the thing, right? If you lose to Alabama uh, and you beat LSU, there's a very real chance that you can finish the season 11-1. and one. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that we, we're going to pick that, but yeah. like, you could Good finish chance. the season eleven and one. You just need Alabama to drop. Well, I guess you need them to drop two games to make that title game. If you don't beat them, it's, it's possible. It's, but it's still Cause possible because they, they. I mean, they get Georgia. They get Georgia in week three. Yeah, and they get. I mean, at LS, it's at LSU. The yeah. Alabama gets at, at, at LSU, and yeah. then of course they got the Iron they Bowl. Play at like there are three There's losses, three four conference losses potentially on on Alabama's yeah. schedule. So yeah, it's not out of the ordinary if they drop to Bama. If NM drops to Bama and then still makes the SC title yeah. game, like, and and I want to be clear, right? Like we, <laughs> we're gonna go through this when we talk about Texas in just a second too. Like we completely understand that every year it's gonna be the oh, of course you're hyping up Texas, of course you're hyping right, up to NM. Right. 
I feel like we were pretty measured about both of those teams last year. 100%. And, 100%. I, you know, I, I think that we picked, obviously, A&M to go 8-4, and four and they finished 8-5. and five. You know, we picked Texas, I think, to finish 8-4, and four and they were a little worse than we expected. Yeah. But not a lot worse than we expected. Like, I think that we've been pretty measured about what we expect from these teams. Sure. I mean, I especially with Texas, man, I, I don't like to go over <sighs> the edge with them because yeah. because everybody does. Right. Um, and, and obviously everybody expects us to because we're Dave Campbell's Texas football. <laughs> but but we really don't like to doing like doing that. But man, when you look at how things are lining up, like if a team is going to make a leap, yeah, this is the sort of thing that you're looking for. And and just to move quickly on to Texas, who again, the number ten and number fourteen. Pretty close, you know. I, I mean, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, they're basically identical, right? Yes. In terms of in terms of projected caliber. Mm-hmm. Um, so Texas, they go to LSU in week two. Now, expect them to win is probably too much, sure. uh, you know, because they still have to go to to Death Valley. I mean, look, here's the thing, right? They they lost 14 starters or whatever it was LSU did. They replace them with LSU recruits, right? They're, they'll be fine. <laughs> like they'll, they'll, they'll it's be gonna fine. be they're okay. Gonna be good, they're gonna be a good team. Um and and look, I think that this is the year that you wish that you could have played them at home. Yeah, 100%. you know, I, I think that you wish that in 2019, like obviously you got that nice moment where you kind of get to compete, but you're probably more okay with getting eviscerated in 2019 right. and competing in 2020. Right. Um, but you know, still should be a good game, I think. Um, but then you know, South Florida and UTEP should be easy wins. Uh, at Kansas State versus you know against Oklahoma. West Virginia at home. Their road schedule, I guess, is at Kansas State, at Texas Tech, at Kansas, at Oklahoma State. Now, that's a massive game at Oklahoma State at the end of the year. It's on Black Friday. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to determine everything. Yeah, I mean, it, it probably it, determines who plays in the Big Twelve title game with Oklahoma. Yeah, like. <laughs> yeah, and and on top of that, I mean, I think that there's a real chance that. You know, both these teams are potentially, uh, you know... New Year's Six, maybe? Yeah, yeah, New Year's Six caliber. I think that both these teams could have only one loss heading into this game, potentially. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, like, this this could be a, a a pre... Like, a game where whoever wins this game has a real playoff case if they beat Oklahoma. 100%. Right? Yeah. <laughs> because I think we're just riding in Oklahoma, honestly. Right. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think that we... <laughs> Until they don't make it, yes. I think Until it's safe they don't to... win it. Right. You just fair say enough. that they're going to win it. Right. Um, and look, I think that Texas, obviously, you know, to go through their roster a little bit, I mean, they do lose a little bit more than A&M, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, they were a lot younger on defense last year. Some of those guys are going to grow up. I do think that uh, schematically, I mean, there's obviously been a lot of talk about the, the three down versus four down with Texas. Mm-hmm. Here's the advantage and, and probably the reason why Texas should always play with four down is because they can get four guys who are terrifying. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, like like Baylor last year, they got three guys who were great. Who would the fourth guy have been? You know, right. like like who do you <laughs> really enough. want on the field more than you want? You know, Terrell Bernard or right. Blake Lynch. That's what it, what it kind of comes down to. I think at Texas, you know, you come out there and you're like, here's Taquan Graham, yeah. here's Keontre Coburn, yeah. here's Deontay Christmas Giles. <laughs> like all those guys are terrifying, man. Yeah. Like like. I, I think that's probably going to be a better fit for them, especially since they don't necessarily have very many true pass rushers uh, mm-hmm. on their team. Now I think that. They hope that Joseph Osai can be that as sort of a, a jack end, um, but but I think obviously Texas has. I, I think that scheme is going to work out a little better for them. It's going to be a transition. I, yeah. I really wish, honestly, that they didn't replace both coordinators right now. Uh, yeah, it, that's going to be. I mean, it is. It's going to be an adjustment. Yeah. Um, obviously, you expect 
the offense to be smoother, yes. right? The offensive transition to be smoother, yeah. I should say, because I mean, for the most part, it is it, Tom Herman's offense. Tom Herman wanted to co- wanted somebody to call plays as opposed to install an offense, yeah. And so you expect that to more or less stay the same, and, and he probably just adds a couple more air raidy spread concepts right. to your passing game. That's about right, it. especially since I mean, Ellinger showed that he can he can handle it last year. Definitely. Um, obviously, you get Jordan Whittington back. We'll see what he is if they like him. At, Sounds uh, like they like him back. as an inside receiver. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. so they're kind of moving him back yeah. out there. But so, they're keeping Roshan Johnson at, at running back for now i mean that's fine yeah. i mean he showed flashes yeah. so we'll see if he Good develops player. there um and, the, and they, they had Bijan robinson by the way right so exactly that so should that fun. should be a lot of fun they need they i really they think let me back up a <laughs> You're bit all good. they do need one of those guys to actually step out and be the guy yeah like i think we expected to be Keontae Inger. he battled he's battled some injury as well yeah. um roshan johnson obviously his first year running back i think was an unmitigated success considering the circumstances oh God, yeah. um but they do now. Now there's no more like, oh, he's good for a quarterback. It's like, all right, now you're running back. Like, I, you, I, I you think need... by Oklahoma State, it's going to be Bijan Robinson. Fair I mean, I, that, that would not be shocked either. I, which I mean, I, I think he's a good player. I don't think he's been put in a good situation at Texas. I think Ingram could be the odd man out by the end of the year. Sure. We'll see. I mean, I mean, you know, profile wise, I mean, he's yeah, a little inju- bit bigger injury, than those injury guys. does things. You know, injury yeah, sets it guys sucks, packs. Man. Yeah, it sucks, man. It sucks. Especially because especially, especially with Jonathan Gray, right? Especially after what we saw after his freshman year, right? He yeah. showed a lot of flashes yeah. freshman year. So, we'll and, see. Yeah, I do think they need someone to come out and officially be the workhorse running back. That's kind of the dynamic guy with Ellinger there. Yeah. So, but there's a lot of openings. I oh mean, I mean. That's the thing, right? Is when you when you project these things too, because because Bill Connolly is just going through and projecting efficiencies, and mm-hmm. it's you know like obviously that doesn't mean that these teams are like this doesn't mean that Texas is going to finish number fourteen. This doesn't mean that A and going to finish number ten. That's not what he's trying to say, mm-hmm. right? He's trying to say that he thinks that caliber wise that this could be the number ten most efficient team in the country, number fourteen, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then when you take that information, then you have to look at schedule too, right? And Whereas last year, Texas A&M had a nightmare schedule. Again, A&M has as soft a schedule as you're maybe ever going to get in the SEC West. Right. Like, seriously. Because, I mean, who? there's Alabama, right? Alabama's crazy good, obviously. But then you get South Carolina every single year, and South Carolina's not really going to scare you that much. Uh, and, and then you get Vanderbilt this year. Vanderbilt better not scare you that much. All right. Um, both Mississippi schools are completely rebuilding. Uh, Arkansas is completely rebuilding, like, this is a. I don't want to call this a three game season, but it's kind of a three game season. <laughs> yeah, you you kind of have to go on the road to at Auburn, which I think is actually in a funny way the game that their season's going to hinge on, mm-hmm. right? If they're if they're serious about this being a special year, I think they have to go out there and beat Auburn, right? Um, because like if you finish ten and two, but your two losses are against two of the best programs in the country, like I think that's okay, you know, like. If you but if you finish nine and three and you kind of get manhandled by Auburn, it's like pecking order wise. Right, you're just that's the issue, right? Mm-hmm. Is like then you're just kind of like your are peak we ever years, gonna, you know you right. let you let down that much and you're supposed to you're supposed to supposedly your peak year. Right. Well, and that's the thing too is like after 2020, uh, you know, and and this was a this is a lot of the same stuff that I think we were talking about with Baylor heading in the last year is like yeah. uh, this is an upperclassman heavy team um, with a senior quarterback. With a coaching staff that's managed to stay together for three years, basically, uh, you know, I think that this is at least the first culmination. This isn't this isn't the culmination of the Jimbo era by any mm-hmm. means, but this is the first like, okay, this is the year that we're looking at, right? It'll probably be two or three more years before you have another one quite like this, right? right? Um, you know, senior quarterback, a lot of upperclassmen um, on both sides of the ball, and, and the thing is too, right, is that 
if this doesn't work out, you lose like three offensive linemen uh, after this year in 2020. You lose probably both linebackers, Buddy Johnson and Anthony Hines, are probably off to the NFL. You start to lose some of those secondary guys. You start to lose some of those defensive line guys. Like This, I think, is a gear that you have to have circled on the calendar. And yep. I think, again, we think that they could do it. We, we think that they are absolutely right there. And, and then also you have an Alabama replacing a lot, and you have an LSU that obviously is replacing everybody, basically. Yeah. So whew. It's, a, it's a lot of expectations put on AM because... We haven't necessarily seen it. But, look, man, you hired Jimbo Fisher for that reason. So, uh, yeah. Number one in the state right now. Yeah. So, so uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> Power see. Power rankings, you heard it here. <laughs> right. So, uh, let me ask you one more question before we get. Yeah. If you, if you look at this list of teams, again, uh, talking uh, talking tiers. <clears throat> you know, tier one, Anum in Texas. Tier two, Baylor TCU. Tier three, SMU Texas Tech Houston. Tier four, North Texas Price. Tier five, Texas State, UTSA, UTEP. If you look at one of these teams, which one do you think has the best chance of moving up a tier? Oh, that's a good question. I promise I'm not a homer. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's Texas State. Yeah. Um, because the metric does not – or it can't, right? It's not designed to um, account for – Incoming these incoming JUCOs who are expected Definitely. to make instant impacts. Definitely. Um, now, granted that conversely, that also puts them near the uh, near the uh, the top to also uh, uh, underperform. Right. Right. And so, if those JUCO guys don't work out, okay, they could be where UTEP is right now because right. All, you're gambling your entire season on these guys working out. Definitely. And so, I think the upside is there because of how bad the offense was last year. Obviously, defensively, I just don't think you can be as good just because you don't have the returning production, and I think it's sure. impossible to expect these JUCO guys to be as good as seasoned FBS uh, players that they had last year. Um, but I'm going to say Texas State, because, also because of how, how where they're ranked, right? Yeah. I think it's easy to project up from 120-whatever to yeah. <laughs> you know the upper 90s or 80s, right, if they well, maybe get up there. And, and I mean, also, I'll be the one to say it, man. Like, I... <laughs> I feel like Texas State does not belong with those other two teams. I think based off SP, SP Plus, I think, and what it can measure, I think it does. Well, sure, sure, sure. But I, I, right. mean, I mean, like, just looking at... The what we co- know about them. Yeah, what right. we know about them, right. the talent that I think that they're gaining on their roster, mm-hmm. uh, the coaching level that I think we expected, and saw flashes of last year, even if we didn't see the whole thing. Sure. Um, I, I feel like Texas State doesn't belong with two teams who I think... Uh, especially, I mean, honestly, you could make UTEP its own caliber. I think that's the other thing, too. It's, right. like, it's like they're probably on a different level. But, like, UTSA is going to be rebuilding. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to be trying to figure things out. They've got a first-time head coach. They've got, a, you know, a first-time coordinator. I think they have a lot more questions about what they are. Now, question for you. Out of those teams, which team do you think has the biggest risk to underperform? Yeah. I think... I think for me the answer is <laughs> okay. I I got to jump in and say the, tier three is kind of a weird one mm-hmm. because it's so far behind tier two right. and so, so far, far ahead, ahead of, of tier, tier four. four. <laughs> right, because like you're going from thirty six to fifty six and then from sixty three to one hundred and eleven. Right. right? <laughs> um, if I oof, team to underperform, I think I'm gonna have to go. This is tough. This is this is real tough. I'm gonna go with. I think I'm gonna go with Houston. Okay. 
Um, again, yeah, I mean, I, not I, to the hundreds right, by right, any means. Like we're right. talking about them falling to, to 70, let's right. say. But there's still a lot of proof of concept things that we haven't seen as yet. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we still don't really know what Clayton Toon is. We still don't really know, you know, what that offensive line is going to look like without Josh Jones. We still don't know if some of these transfers are going to have the impact on defense that we expect. Uh, you know, and they, they still do lose Isaiah Chambers. Like, that's something yeah. that we have to take into account. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I don't, I'm not saying it's going to happen because mm-hmm. I, I don't think that they're going to be worse than last year by any means. But like 63 sort of Im- implies a jump to the at least the middle of the pack of sure. the American. No, right, right. I, I mean, that, I think yeah. that that's sort of it's what they're projecting. If, if you are 63 in the American, I'm probably assuming that you're about an eight win team, right? Mm-hmm. I think they're going to make a bowl. Like, I don't think that they're going to, I think they're going to get back to a bowl. But I think that if I had to think of a team that's going to underperform, it would probably be that. I, I also, <sighs> Baylor and TCU are interesting, man, because I think that they could go either direction. Right. <laughs> not, not that they're going to be top 15. Right. You know, not that they're going to get to that level and not that they're going to fall to 60. But, like, I think either, both of them are so volatile because I think that you just, with Baylor, you don't know what it's going to look like. Especially, I mean, you're one of this defense. You lost so much production on right. that side of the ball. I mean, yeah, it, you're I, switching I, to a new scheme, too. Right. Like, I think that both those teams are incredibly volatile. Yeah. And, and I think that at the same time, like, again, man, if, if Larry Fedora comes in here and, like, completely revamps that offense, it might humming. not matter. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> and they're humming, so. And, and, and if, I mean, again, if, if Max Duggan kind of takes that step, if Quentin Johnston's what we – kind of think he might be at receiver if that offensive line takes a step forward because you know a lot of those guys are coming back even though they weren't great last year mm-hmm. uh if darwin barlow suddenly becomes that standout runner and uh demarque foster you know one of those guys right like there's upside I, I think that the defense could be incredible at tcu next year so they could definitely break into that group so I'd say that the team that's, like you said, most likely to jump into a group, probably Texas State. Um, you know, the team that's probably most likely to fall out of the group, uh, you know, Houston, let's say. Mm. And then the most volatile teams, I think, in the state next Appropriately. year. <laughs> <laughs> Baylor TCU, the rivalry is back. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that was an hour and 16-minute podcast. It's not bad for f- Late February. <laughs> Thank you, as always, Bill Connolly, for yeah. uh, for providing us with literally anything to talk about at this Seriously. off season. And by the way, uh, we have to make sure and, and shout him out. If you don't follow him already on Twitter and you're a college football fan, you need to get there. Yes, um, and he he used to do uh, individual player pro or team profiles yeah. uh, every day leading up to the season. He's doing that on Twitter now, so yep. you better follow him because he's doing yep. these really great graphical breakdowns yeah. at ESPN underscore Bill C is is yeah. his Twitter account and. and I have to say, man, like mm-hmm. I started uh, listening to him and, and he used to be on a podcast called Podcast Ain't Played Nobody, mm-hmm. um, which which now he's at ESPN. He doesn't do anymore. But but that was really the thing that got me into Group of Five football. Oh, for sure. And, and like, as someone who covered Group of Five football, like, <laughs> yeah. that's how I kept up with a lot of who Texas State was playing week right. to week and what I what to write about in the summer when I didn't know, you know, when I didn't know what was happening. He was like, hey, we're going to talk about Troy for 30 <laughs> minutes. It's like, okay. It's, it's, it's freaking rules, man. Yeah. And, and like... So if you, obviously, you know, if you're a fan of a group of five team, I mean, he is a must follow uh, and, and, uh, you know, you got to read all of his stuff. Um, But if you're a fan of a power five team too, but you 
kind of want to get into the weeds of this stuff. I mean, if you listen to this podcast, yeah. you got to follow Bill Connolly on Twitter. So thanks always to Bill for giving us literally anything to talk about. Uh, as always, you can find all of our work at TexFootball.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Dave Campbell Sex Football. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. Uh, we're serious about the subscription thing, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> TexFootball.com slash subscribe. Uh, another thing that, I, that, that you need to keep an eye on is TexasBasketball.com. Mm-hmm. Um, look, uh, this is this is kind of weird thing for me to say as you know somebody went to school, but we got the number one and number two team in the nation playing in the states. Yep. Uh, I certainly had no intention of being this you know involved with Baylor at this point of the <laughs> off season, but they're giving me no choice. Uh, we're gonna have a lot of content on TexasBasketball.com. Um, you know, I'm gonna be down at Baylor, Kansas on mm-hmm. on Saturday. This should be a lot of fun. Nice. Um, we're going to be following everybody at all levels, all the way through the off season. I mean, Lubbock Christian uh, the, on the women's side, they're they're national champs too. Yep. Like, there's there's a lot to talk about. Man. Some boys and girls are starting, or uh, girls started this past week. Boys are starting Friday, I believe. So, yeah. you know, we're going to be we're going to have a full coverage of state when that rolls around in San Antonio in early March. So, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So, if you haven't as yet, check out TexasBasketball.com. And, and follow us on, on Twitter as well, DCT Basketball. Yes. And uh, follow us on Facebook there, Dave Campbell Sucks Basketball. And by the way, we are really trying to get followers up on that Facebook page. Yeah. So if you uh, if you wouldn't mind, e- even if you're only kind of a fan of basketball in the state of Texas, just give us a follow. J- just give us a follow. <laughs> it really helps us out. So <laughs> thank you to everybody for joining us. And we will be back with you again next week.